Um, we're going to have Henrik speak first. Um, before he does, I just want to um, make an announcement. <laughs> we're going to have a question and answer time at the end if there's time. So just if you have questions during it, think of those, write them down, or even stuff relating to the last sessions about healing or living in the spirit, and we'll have time to talk about those at the end. Cool. Let's invite Henrik up. I asked Henrik to speak because he's one of the people that I respect most in this body. He carries the presence like no one else and um, has just a really, really a powerful, beautiful, and submitted view on who God is and on what it means to walk in the Spirit and hear His voice. And so I'm, I'm really excited to be taught from him tonight. Yeah. Thanks, Henrik. Thanks. I want to hear what you have to say on this, too. <laughs> Selfishly. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks. And can I pray first? Yeah, God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that your presence transforms everything about the way that we see, the way that we experience reality. And thank you for the joy that you infuse us with. So we just ask that your presence just continue to, to be, be in us and, and alive in ways that, that show us new things about who you are and the delight that you've created with. And it's funny talking in a mic with like <laughs> a small group. Um, Matt had asked me to talk about the prophetic, um, and I, I, I was um, I was thinking and, and um, praying about this, and and as I was, I felt like the the delight and abundance of God that are just part of who God is. Um, wait, is the sun less in your eyes if I move over this way? Is that, okay, I'll move it that way. Yeah. Uh, so, delight in abundance. So the prophetic, uh, uh, I think laughter is a big part of this too. Uh, the, the, the prophetic, if, if that is us um, seeing the world around us through God's eyes and hearing the things around us through God's ears, connecting with, with God's abundance as a lens, that then it has everything to do with, with who God is. And part of who God is, infinite, of course, right? But these, these, these parts of God um, that, that are really uh, tightly related to the prophetic, I think, are delight and abundance. Um, so the, the delight of God, um, I heard put really well by this uh, sculptor, Lee Benson, um, who he he loves the Lord. He's got a huge beard. He makes these enormous, uh, enormous sculptures in iron and wood. And he carries a kind of delight. And he described his his uh, the way that he imagines the universe and God continuing to create as the universe expands as like God being really into spheres. That God made one and then another one. Let there be light. Like oh, here's this other sphere out here. And then another one and another one and another one. And that God's heart in that is revealed as just all about this delight in the simplest form that we know. Like in studio classes, that's like 
that's like the base form for for most forms and and that God who knows all forms even forms and colors that we can't imagine yet we don't, can't see the side of heaven he still is is able to to operate in enough delight that he can create keep creating spheres again and again and again as the universe expands and keep a sense of delight about it so that that abundance is all over who God is um, and then clearly like all around in creation you know like oh why one maple leaf when I could also make an oak leaf and why just that oak leaf when every oak leaf could look different you know like again and again and again um, and creation is this example of God's abundance and delight and and that um, that, that that kind of delight, I think when when we when we are around that in his presence, it ignites in us a kind of curiosity to know more about what he's made. So he keeps making, oh more and more and more people, more people, like, oh, who are you? Like what what is in you? And and our imagination, our curiosity um, is is I think one of the strongest drivers for the prophetic out of love. Like when we're, say, praying with someone, to be like curious, like, oh, who, like you reflect some of God's nature. Of course, you're made in the image of God. So are you, but you two are obviously very different. And so like how infinite is God and, and what aspects of God are in you? Um, so there, there's so much in scripture that, that we'll get into about how the prophetic always has as its, as its um, precursor love. And it can't operate right without that. It gets really disfigured. And love and delight and wonder and, and, and a sense of curiosity are all related in this sort of disposition of God that I think we catch when we're around his presence. Um, so the prophetic always comes out of his presence. I even think it's funny that, that when God in the Old Covenant judges, um, like say at Babel, I was thinking about this, that, that God sees these people building this huge tower and, and for reasons that are beyond our comprehension, that's not, that's not part of his will. And so, so he like scatters these people, but his way of like judging and deconstructing the tower is to like multiply one language into a billion languages. Like he just can't help it. <laughs> like even his judgment looks like multiplication. And, and so it's, I think, I think if, if, if we encounter other people with that heart, that like, wow, God just can't help it. It's just his nature to like multiply more and more humans out of, out of his abundance, then that's a really great place of wonder and love for God and love for his creation that, that can drive asking a question and, and praying with someone like, how has God made this person? Like, or what does he have for this person? Or what dreams does he want to place in their heart or articulate more? Um, God's, God's word never returns void, and his word in Genesis is like the thing that spawns creation. Um, there's, this great, uh, there's this great excerpt from a, a um, sermon that I heard from John Piper that says God in Genesis issues a command so powerful that if nothing is there to obey, then the word itself brings forth obedience out of creation. <laughs> That like something appears just so that it can obey. <laughs> and so God's, God's word creates. And in Genesis, it seems like, I imagine it, like, I, I love thinking about it literally. I have no idea. But, 
like God speaking and then and then things like matter starting to exist. So his word never returns void. His, his word also spawns new creation. And then we get to play this part in that. So in, in Genesis, there's this account of speaking that, that in a lot of ways lays the groundwork for the prophetic. Um, so it's in Genesis, in Genesis 2, um, in verse 19. So God has created everything, and then God has created humans. And, and so there are all these animals, like, again, abundance of forms. Like, oh, I'll make one with mane. I'll make one with, like, that is just a tail. Oh, it's called a, you know, like a salamander. Um, so verse 19 now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that, w- that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. So if God's, if God's word initially at creation, God speaking, creates new things, like out of nothing, then what, what seems interesting here is that, that God still cares what Adam says. So God creates Adam, gives him in his image this ability to speak. And so what is it that Adam's word does and Eve's word when Eve is created? What do those words do? Um, and in this, in this context, they're naming, which I think you could see as like a co-creating with God. That it's like seeing God's delight in speaking all these animals into being. And then, and then in this... I think, like, really early, like, image of the prophetic, like, looking at that, that creature and then giving it a name. Oh, that's called, I don't know if this is what it looked like, but that's called a lion. Or, like, what did Adam's words sound like? And how much did his speaking, a name over that creature, come out of a good posture of, I love God's presence. God's presence is everywhere here in the garden. And here's this thing that God spoke into existence. Like, what a delightful thing. That's amazing. God's abundance. And so here's a name. So what if we ministered prophetically like that? Like encountering someone. Like, I love your, Brian, your, your Holy Spirit shopping cart. Um, like, you encounter someone with that Holy Spirit shopping cart. And like, I mean, you could just feel this all over your testimony the other night. When you encounter this person, it's like, oh, who, who, who is this? Like, what's this, what's this new thing that God's brought, this new human who, like, God's brought me into the same aisle at Walmart with. And so out of that delight comes love, which is, like, the root of the prophetic that way. Um, so I think, if, I think if we're operating that way, then, then the sort of admonishments in Scripture to, to, to have the prophetic always coupled with love um, seem a lot less like something we need to strive after and a lot, and, like, sort of, be nervous about, like, oh, am I gonna, am I gonna speak prophetically out of something other than love? I think if our, if our attitude from being in God's presence is delight and his, his abundance and, and delight in exploring what he's, what and who he's put around us, then that sort of changes, that changes where the prophetic comes from. Um, so there's this, there's this uh, verse that I love in, in 1 Corinthians 14.1, um, that emphasizes love um, as the precursor to all of the spiritual gifts. And, and Paul goes on to talk about the prophetic and speaking in tongues as things that we should all, that we should all eagerly desire. Um, but what's so, I think, simple and beautiful in this is that in 14.1 he says, follow in the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Like, the way of love sounds 
to me more uh, all-encompassing, like as a way of being, um, more than just like a feeling that I have for someone. Um, like it's deeper than that. It might result in feeling, but but it's like a way of existing. And so so that, that like follow in the way of love, it sounds really like a really beautiful way to exist. Um, and then eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Um, and then later he writes in the same in the same chapter, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. And so the way that, that um, when we first started coming here that I heard Matt talk about the, the prophetic was like just deeply connected to encouragement. And, and I, really, I really love that about the way that I think God's grown a culture here to, to gear the prophetic towards encouragement, which doesn't just look like, oh, you're really wonderful. It does, but also, like, here is this aspect of who God is that's, like, in you. And here's this thing that, that maybe is a seed in your abilities that, that God wants to grow. You know, so it's always, like, forward-moving, just like God's word when he speaks always moves forward to not return void, but to make something happen. Um, so the prophetic is I, perhaps sometimes about just, um, like, being affirmed. But, but I think, and, and maybe I'm wrong in this, that, that that affirmation rarely stops there. In, in God's perfect will, it would go forward to like, oh, and so I want to give this to the next person. You know, so creation is all full of these cycles, like the nitrogen cycle and carbon cycle, where nutrients sort of go in circles all around. And they're not needed, or they don't need to be created anew because the nitrogen that goes through you know, my vegetables and in my compost pile back into the garden and comes back out in a new plant is the same nitrogen. So it's, it's cyclical. And I think that, that when, when, the, when the prophetic is operating in a really right way, it also works cyclically because um, it's from the same God. So if God is, maybe God's here, right? God's everywhere, right, in, in us. <laughs> but, um, but if God's here, just for the sake of sort of spatial Clarity. God's here. And then someone listening, like Dottie's listening uh, for what the Lord loves about a person here. So, so God speaks and gives Dottie like a truth or an image or an encouragement or, or a, a, an aspect of that person that he, that he really wants to ignite and empower. Dottie gives it then that word to this person over here. So the word's gone from God to Dottie to the person that she's praying with, when the prophetic breaks down is when that cycle doesn't complete. So when that person then turns back to Dottie and says, oh my gosh, you're so, you're so profound. You are so amazing. What a prophetic voice you have. And it's encouragement. That's really good. But it's also, it's also taking this cycle and then switching it back. So it's almost like, like the drain reversed, you know? <laughs> um, so when, when the prophetic's operating in a healthy way, then Dottie gives that word to the person, and then the person glorifies God because of it. Like, oh, I, I, like, now I totally see that like, these, these sort of um, uh, uh, inclinations I have to, to do this thing all the time are actually part of God's identity in me, because Dottie spoke that over me. Wow, God, you're amazing for allowing me to operate in ministry this way. So I'm moving it forward, and it goes back to God. And then back to that person who now got prophesied over so that they can feed it on. So it's a cycle that sort of 
um, self self promulgates. Um, I heard this phrase. Uh, this is from Bill Johnson that I really, I really loved. Um, that the right word uh, spoken at the right time releases heaven's reality. Um, or a guy I know, Rod Crossman, says that it unleashes on earth what's in heaven, or it looses on earth what's been loosed in heaven, which is scriptural, or it binds on earth what's been bound in heaven. Um, what's really, one thing that's really wonderful about that is that, that it, it releases on earth heaven's reality, and heaven's reality is, is abundant, and delighting and ever expanding like God. Like it's, God's abundance is like the ultimate abundance. So, so when heaven gets released on earth, it multiplies possibilities. So it doesn't, it doesn't just like direct, oh, just do this thing and forget everything else and be sort of myopic, right? Be single-minded, single but it multiplies possibilities or it multiplies even as, as someone who is empowered by someone speaking prophetically over them goes into ministry, they then empower five other people who then empower five other people. So it's always this expanding thing. Um, I think that the prophetic um, speaks this um, activation or wonder into the everyday where we are anticipating the fulfillment of God's word. Um, so there's, there's this great story in, uh, in first. No, Second Samuel, um, about Saul. First Samuel, sorry, First Samuel. Um, uh, I think someone should check that. Um, in First Samuel uh, 19, about Saul, and Saul's this young kid, and so his father sends him out to look for the donkeys, and so it's this very normal activity, like go find these donkeys because they've been lost. So Saul goes out, young kid, with his um, with his friend. And they're looking for these donkeys, and they can't find them. And so Saul's ready to go back home. But his friend has this, I think, heaven's vision for the prophetic. He's seeing this natural activity, looking for donkeys, sort of like going to the grocery store, going to Walmart, as something that's like ignited with the capacity for heaven's abundance. And so he says, oh, hey, I know this guy, or I've heard of this guy named Samuel. He's a seer or a prophet. And maybe we should go ask him where the donkeys are. So it's this very like practical thing, but he's expanding his map of like what it looks like to look for donkeys. Maybe looking for donkeys looks like listening to a prophet. Like, wow, what if what if like you know going shopping at Walmart looks like engaging with the prophetic? That would sort of light everything up. So they go to they go to um, Samuel the prophet, who's been told that Saul is coming, and then when they get there, he speaks over Saul that Saul is going to be a leader in Israel. So out of this simple task looking for donkeys comes this faith, like, oh, let's like go to, to this sort of crazy risk of asking the seer where we go look for the donkeys. And then out of that risk and that faith in God's ability to ignite the everyday comes something way, way bigger than Saul signed up for. Because he signed up for going to find the donkeys. And he comes out with this prophetic word about being the next king of Israel. I mean, it's like this amazing, it's multiplication. So it always multiplies and gets bigger and bigger. Um, I thought it would be, it would be um, valuable to share that years ago, um, when I was in high school, 
I went to visit this church, and it was this little storefront church, and, um, and I'd never, I was raised in the Episcopal Church, so at this point, I'd, you know, I really hadn't been around the prophetic very much at all. Um, though some Episcopal churches are, um, I've now learned. Uh, mine was not, so I had really no, like, I didn't know what this was, but they, they mentioned that people were doing prayer after the service and that they were doing prophetic ministry, so like, that sounded kind of interesting. Um, and, and I was into that kind of stuff in general, um, not in a good way at the time. And so I went, to, I went back to meet these people, and they prayed over me, and they, um, they said a lot. It was what we'd call original design prayer, like asking the Lord, what do you love about this person? What gifts have you put in this person? What season do you have them in now? And the, the people said, oh, well, we feel like you're um, called to be an, uh, a writer and a teacher, um, which sort of like took me off guard because I was putting in my applications to art school. <laughs> so I thought, writer, art school, like maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know how this works. Um, but I, I stored it away and didn't quite know what to do with it. A few weeks later, I was in a totally different church and a, a meeting for a choir practice dissolved into just people praying for each other. Um, I shouldn't say dissolved it, like, it was, it was really good. Um, and, and this, this, um, this djembe player, um, a really wonderful guy came up to me, and I had just met him the week before, and he, he started praying over me, and he said, hey, I feel like the Lord's called you to be a writer and a teacher. Um, and so hearing that twice sort of like shook me going to art school, but I went to art school. Um, uh, I think that was, in retrospect, it still feels like the right, it was the right thing to do. But that whole time in art school, I kept these things in my head, and they ignited the everyday, like looking for the donkeys is this normal thing. So now all of a sudden, normal thing being at art school, I'm like on the lookout for ways that, that writing can be a part of that. So there's a class that's all about writing as part of the creative process. Like, oh, I need that one. I need that class. Like that, I don't know what this means, but I need to get there. So I wound up in this amazing class with Wendy Walters, this you know, phenomenal writer, and still didn't know what that quite meant. Years later, I. I left the East Coast to come here to teach. And really early on here, James Heth um, and Jordan Wallace were up here prophesying over people. And, and they, they, they said, we see you with like a pen in your hand, like you're writing something. <laughs> and it was again, it's like, okay, teacher, writer, the writer thing can come up three times, and that's not what I do. <laughs> um, so I, I share that to say that, that I, I still don't know what that means. I mean, I love writing, and I'm married to a writer who's, an, who's a real writer, <laughs> uh, an amazing one. Um, but I still don't know what it means to be a writer. The teacher thing makes more sense now. Like, I've, I've, that's what I do, like, you know, four days out of the week. Um, but still, like, my own practice is in making painting and sculpture, and I haven't yet sorted out what the writer means. But on, on days when I remember to, to keep this active, this prophetic word active, like it ignites what would otherwise seem like a boring thing, like, oh, can you rewrite this curriculum? Like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Like, I need, to, I, need to, I need to figure out how to write. I need to step into this. And so what would be like a chore is all of a sudden this thing that, wow, I, it's like part of this thing that is not yet. But I'm trying to see God's perspective, things that are not yet as though they are already, and step into that. Like, the kingdom is here. Jesus said, it's, it's among you, but it's also on the way. <laughs> like, there's this really beautiful paradox. Um, I think that what that does, that way of seeing the prophetic as not something that is like, oh, this is spoken to me, this is going to happen to me, but rather, 
oh, I've been given this word. Now, like, I get to, like, partner with God, like Adam naming the animals that God created, to, like, co-create that reality and start stepping into ways that, that, that I can, like, be active in that thing that, that even if I don't see it yet. So if it's, like, Gideon and God saying when he's, like, hiding in this threshing pit, like, he's, he's, like, the guy hiding from the armies, and God says, you're a mighty man of Israel, it, like, does not jive with the, with the rational, you know? Or when he speaks to Moses, who has a speech impediment, like, hey, you're going you're gonna to be my voice to Pharaoh? Like, that does, not, that does not square with the observable. But what the prophetic does is it releases heaven's reality, which is always bigger, always multiplying, always expanding, taking new territory. And so Moses, like, is able to step into, like, speaking powerfully, anointedly for God even though he has this, this like slowness in speech, this speech impediment. Or Gideon is able to, to like step into, he's invited to step into this reality that's not yet visible. So the prophetic, it's, I can speak for the culture here that it's, it's not as much like this is what's going to happen or uh, like thus saith the Lord, like this will occur to you, but Rather, here's, here's a piece of God's goodness and abundance that you're invited to step into. Um, so that's what comes out of original design. I think it is at its best. Um, so not, Dottie said this on the way over. I thought it was really wonderful. Like not forecasting, but speaking God's truth over them and doing that in love. Forecasting implies I have no role to play. Like the storm is just rolling in and I better either get on the porch for a beautiful sunrise or get in the basement for a storm. Like it's going to happen anyway. Certainly God works that way. But the way that I'm talking about the prophetic here deals more with this, this potential reality that is a dream that I'm invited to partner with God in. Um, so what does being a writer look like? I still don't know. Maybe I'll know by the time I'm 80. I hope. I mean, that'd be amazing. I, uh, maybe I'll be able to look back and, and see how it happened, or I'll be writing by then. Um, I don't know, but it, 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 it brings this faith and this joy, also this glee into the everyday, um, thinking like, oh, this thing isn't yet, but it almost is. You know, almost like the birthday cake tastes best when you have the first bite, because there's so much birthday cake ahead of you. A prophetic word that's not fulfilled yet carries that same kind of thing, you know, that like, Okay, I can see glimmers, but like it's still ahead of me. Like that's a really beautiful thing, um, not a frustration. There are these phrases in, in scripture about words bearing fruit, and I think that also like amplifies this image of a word, God's word in creation, creating something, or Adam's word, naming the animals, like partnering with God in that creation. And maybe even in some ways amplifying it or diversifying it or moving it forward. And I don't know, I'd I can't wait to find that out. Um, but that idea of, of a word bearing fruit, I think happens when we partner with God that way um, in bringing about or looking for, like, okay, I'm just looking for donkeys, but Where's the, where's the supernatural in this? It's somewhere um, inside of this. Isaiah, Isaiah 59, um, I want to land there for a minute. Um, so Isaiah 59, verse 21, um, 
this associates the spirit of God with the word of the Lord in your mouth. So word of the Lord in your mouth to me sounds really intense. Like that might be followed by language like thus saith the Lord, <laughs> right? Um, which Matt will touch on is not like, uh, not a useful currency here. Um, but this is, this is really wonderful and that, 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 at least to me, really scary, like inaccessible, like, wow, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't know how to get the Lord's words in my mouth, you know, other than reading scripture. Um, that sounds really big. This, Isaiah 59, connects that word of the Lord in your mouth with encountering the spirit of God. Um, so 59, 21. Um, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. And this is with, with Israel. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever. It's my spirit who is on you and my words that I've put on your mouth, put in your mouth, come together. And just like um, in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, love is this necessary like precursor that comes before the gifts of the spirit. Here, like these two are strongly linked, this, the encounter with the spirit of God, his spirit being on us, and then his words in our mouth. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with us catching the nature of God, who is love. Um, that if God speaks, then his words would, of course, be in line with his nature. And if he is love, then the prophetic can also come out of that same place, like a place of abundance and delight and, um, and amplifying goodness in people. This is probably what, what I'm talking about, just one aspect of what the prophetic encounter, encapsulates. Um, again, what is so wonderful about God is that his, when he says one thing, it often means five things. So Jesus speaks in parables, right? And they seem sort of strange. It's a strange way to answer this like pat moral question from a Pharisee. But he speaks in a parable, and then that parable, like, now, it's 2017, like probably in the last week, I would guess dozens of pastors spoke in the same parable all over the country and pulled different things out of it. Like there's abundance. So God can say one thing and mean many things. So this, this aspect of the prophetic that I'm talking about, I, I definitely don't mean to imply that this is like all, um, that it would never involve in any context forecasting, because of course in the Old Testament it does. Um, but I'm just focusing on this one, this one aspect. Um, I just uh, I wanted to talk about clarity for a second. Um, and if I'm going on too long, you gotta like throw, throw something. Um, I, from a human perspective, I think we often tend to value a certain kind of clarity. Like if Dottie and I are communicating and, and I, I like want to get an idea across, like it's really, it's really great to be clear about like expectations for a day or you know, whatever we're communicating about. Like that's a, that's a good value and really, really of high utility in, in the way that we interact with each other. Um, and I think God is all about that kind of clarity. Like 
the commandments that he gives to Israel and now to us are like extremely clear. And there's this beauty of God's light in like that exquisite clarity and precision. There's also an aspect of God that comes out in the parables that deals with multiplication and with, with not confusion, because that's not of the Lord, but of multiple possibilities out of one thing. So often when ministry happens here, um, people get images. Um, and, and those, on the one hand, could be met with frustration, like, oh, why that, why that, kind, of, why that kind of confusion? Or why, did, why is God, like, I'm trying to pray for this person and get a, a word to encourage them. And like over and over again, what pops into my head is like, I don't know, like a car with headlights made of leaves. Like, why, what, okay, Lord, what is that about? And then I'm like waiting for clarity on what that's about. And God says, no, speak the image first, and then I'll give you clarity as you talk. Like, step out in faith first, say this crazy image of a car whose headlights are leaves. Like, what is it about God that, that his spirit does sometimes speak that way, in addition to clarity, which is also part of his nature? Um, I think that that, like the parables, is a different kind of clarity. But it's one that rather than landing on just one thing, do this or don't do this or go here, lands on a lot of possible things that unfold more and more and more over time. So it's like an expression of God's abundance. So a parable, like, you know, now thousands of years later, still carries this kind of weight. And some of the prophetic words that, that I've been given that, that at the time seem the most mysterious or ambiguous um, have unfolded some of the most wonder over time. Like they've applied to different contexts and they've illuminated different experiences. Um, so I think that, that part of delighting in the prophetic is being open to God's breadth, that sometimes, sometimes the spirit speaks really clearly and precisely, and that's a beautiful thing. And sometimes the spirit also speaks in ways that multiply possibilities, and that's also a beautiful thing. And God is infinite, so you know, why, not, why not both end? Um, even if it seems like a paradox. I think God's really good at those. Years ago, this, um, this church that I was a part of, is this little church in uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, it was meeting in a karate studio, and we needed a new building, because um, the karate studio said they wanted to start having classes on Sunday, so we had to get out of there. Um, so we were looking for a new space to meet in, and a member of our church stepped up and said, hey, we just bought this house. We live on the second floor. First floor is commercially zoned. You could meet there. So we, we looked at it, and it was perfect, the great size for the congregation, but it needed, um, it needed like $9,500, like over $9,000 worth of renovations to make it ADA compliant, um, which is a great thing. Um, so, so we didn't, we loved that, but didn't have that money at all, because it's a church of a lot of artists and musicians, you know, who are, do what they do because they love it, not because there's a lot of money in it. Um, so, uh, so we started, we started praying over this number that we had gotten from the contractor to build wheelchair ramps and um, you know, railings and all the stuff that we needed. And, um, and this is an example of God speaking with a kind of clarity that's really beautiful. Um, a few weeks later, um, our pastor, Dorothy Ross is her name, she got a phone call from another uh, pastor of a different church across town who she hadn't spoken to in a long time. He said, um, hey, we've really felt the Lord making it clear to us that we are supposed to sell our building and turn into a whole network of house churches. Like, that's just, for us, where he's moving next. 
And so we're selling our building, and he, so we hadn't really thought about what to do with the money. Um, but we started praying about it when we got an offer on the building, like, okay, it's a lot of money, what do we, what do, we do with this? And he said, we, we heard your name, Dorothy Ross, so clearly, and then we heard $10,000. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> and we had just gotten this quote for $9,500. And we wanted to give a, a gift of rent to the people who were in our congregation who we were renting the space from. So it was like this perfect amount, like this precision that God spoke with, you know, that of course multiplies the possibilities of a church. But I think that's, that's so often what God's precision in the prophetic does, is it plants this delight, like, oh, they need, they need, $9,500. Hey, you have, okay, you know, <laughs> I'm going to do this. Um, my brother has this amazing story too, and I've, I've told this once before, um, but, you know, I think good things are good to repeat sometimes. He, uh, he was with YWAM, um, and who's in Costa Rica, and uh, he uh, was part of a small team that was going to be going to mainland China for a number of months. And they needed a lot of money to get there. And so they're doing all this exciting ministry and also smuggling Bibles in and soccer balls and amazing. Um, but they needed a lot of money. And um, so they started praying about it. And one of, the, one of the people in the group got a name. This is God's precision. Um, a name just dropped into their head. And so they didn't know anyone by that name. So they took it to Facebook and just searched that name and found a guy by that name living in the US. So from Costa Rica wrote to this guy and said, hey, we, um, we're with YWAM. Here's what that is. Um, we're planning this, this trip to mainland China. And we were praying about it, provision for that trip. And your name came to mind. Like, hi. <laughs> um, they got a response from this guy that said, oh, yeah, of course. Jesus told me to be in touch. I have $10,000 for you. For you it, it might have been more. It was a lot of money. <laughs> but the Lord had told him, like, hey, I want you to do this with this money. These people will be in touch from Costa Rica. Like that kind of crystal clarity that's like, yeah, like after Paul's blindness, you know? <laughs> like the kind of clarity that he gives to, to uh, Ananias. Yeah, about, uh, about Paul coming. Um, so God speaks with that clarity, and he also speaks in parables like Jesus does. Um, and I think, again, both of those are really, really beautiful, and, and both, both generate more, just like God always does. Um, the last thing that, that I just wanted to, to touch on that, that really lit my imagination up the last few days, um, I, just, I just heard this from Bill Johnson. It was like this, this wow, oh, this totally fits. Um, he was describing the parable in Mark 4.19 of the sower and the seeds, and the way that the... the um, the seed that grows up in 419 is a seed that, that does give birth to a plant, and the plant grows, and then the cares of this life come up like weeds and choke it out. So he points out this, this I think, profound mystery that God's word is the most powerful thing in the universe. It made the universe. And if the seed is God's word, then there is something that can choke that out. Like that says something he brings up perhaps really deep about our role in, in co-working with God. Um, that God's put that, not that, that weight, but that, that good kind of glory weight on us. Um, but whatever the, whatever the outcome of that mystery is, that uh, he points out that 
the word cares, the cares of this life spring up like weeds and choke it out, that young plant that's the word of the Lord planted and growing. Um, the word cares, he points out, could also be translated divided mind. I thought that was totally like eye-opening. And so I was thinking about divided mind as it maybe relates to, to prophetic ministry, um, that an undivided mind that can take the weight of glory um, the image that, that Bill Johnson uses is that God's glory is weight, and that if that weight comes down on something that's not divided, that doesn't have a crack in it, then it can hold it. But if there's a crack, like a divided mind, a divide, then the weight of God's glory would rest on that thing and it would break more. So if we have a divided mind, we like actually, it's like for our benefit that God would withhold some of his glory at times. So that divided mind when it applies to ministry, um, would look like the opposite of delight and love and wonder at like this, this person who's like come up to meet you and like, wow, they're made in the image of God. Like, man, I, like, I want to find out who, like, who is this person? Like, what has God put in them? Like that kind of love and delight is maybe a kind of unified mind, but a divided mind might look like okay, I love this person and I love God and we just spent all this time in here like inviting God's presence and just delighting in who he is. And at the same time, like I'm up at the front and I really want to say something that like is right on and is powerful and makes this person like, like cry in a beautiful way, you know? Like where I say that thing or ask that question, you know, about their family and do you have four brothers and is one of them named Isaac and does he does he live in Mozambique? And oh my gosh, yeah, like, of course, I think it's, it's, it's possible to want that in a way that is good. You just want to see, like, God's precision and beauty and glory for the glory of God. But there'd also be a way that I've definitely been in um, where, like, I want that to happen, but I want it to happen because I want the person to break that loop, that cycle, and look back at me and say, wow, how did you know that? That's amazing. You're really anointed. And like, I would feel really good. And that's like totally less than who God is. You know, like it's, it's, it's wicked, not in a malicious way, but it's wicked in that it's just, it's just much less than the abundance of God. And maybe that, that in part is, is what a divided mind looks like in prophetic ministry, where half of my mind is on God's goodness and love for this person and God's delight in multiplying truth. And the other half of my mind is on Oh, yeah, but I want to give the awesome word, you know, not to glorify God, but to, to point back to myself. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting that that, like, as Bill Johnson's pointing out, um, that that kind of divided mind um, puts a crack in us that, that would open up wider and break if, if more of God's glory rested on it. But then when we're whole, and again, living in God's delight um, for like naming like more of his creation, like multiplying someone's names. I think we all get more names in the kingdom, like on and on and on. And this can look like um, prophetic words for people that just ignite something new in them. Oh, I never knew that like, wow, I, I was meant to, to speak or to lead or to, or to serve this way. Like, wow, that, that's amazing. I'm gonna start looking for that. And multiplication happens. Their every day is now ignited by this act of looking for that thing. Um, and so like a beautiful kind of single-mindedness 
comes out of that that allows the prophetic to multiply delight and infuse the everyday with joy through activating someone's faith to see God move. So I think um, uh, Matt's going to talk a little bit later about the, uh, like, what does this look like? Um, that's what I wanted to say for now. That's helpful. Thanks so much for, yeah.